It's episode 103 of Leading Ladies of Corpus Christi, and I'm sitting in a Zoom meeting with none other than Monica Sawyer. She is the president and founder at Corpus Christi Patch. She's also the owner and creative director at the One Bride Guide. She's also the owner and founder at the One Community South Texas. I mean, the list goes on and on. How are you, Monica? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been wanting to have you on ever since I met you, which I think was at Tina Lane's kids bridal shower, I think is where we yeah. met. Yeah. yeah. Ju- and uh, Yulia introduced me to you, I think it was, or someone introduced me to you. And I'm like, how have I never met you? I know. I've been hearing about you forever. I always meet the best people at House of Rock. Uh, there you go. Nice plug. And it's so true. Okay, so Monica, I see you have a background in graphic design and that you're from Florida. So tell me about growing up in Florida. Did you know, did you always have a penchant for design or did you know you were going to go into it at a young age? Yeah, I mean, I, I was always an artist. My, I come from a long line of artists. and um, But I also really like technical stuff and so I was actually going to go into architecture and being from Florida you get really wrapped up in all of like marine biology stuff so it was either going to be marine biology or architecture (laughs) and my whole family went to the University of Florida so I decided to do the big college route and have that big college experience and uh, lasted a semester in architecture before it destroyed me oh (laughs) wow it was a really bad experience and where did you go um university of florida okay that's where you went okay yep go gators and uh that particular architecture school is known for really being crazy hard and uh so anyway i ended up transferring over to the graphic design fine arts um, department and really thrived there and uh, loved it and so i graduated with a degree in graphic design and then uh, I got out of Florida. I ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, wow. And um, how did you like just, Atlanta? It was great. Um, I did not find a job right away. I actually went on 31 interviews and before I wow. found a job. So I really hit the pavement. And I was doing some freelancing kind of in the meantime, but um, finally found a job at Fitzgerald and Company, which was one of the top three ad agencies in the country at the time. And that's a major, that's major. It was was a big, big move. And um, I loved it. It was, I was part of this really amazing creative team. We would pitch jobs to um, like the island of Aruba and John Deere and Mizuno and wow. um, And I ended up inheriting we merged with another company and so i inherited a lot of the work for coca-cola which um was super exciting got to work with some really crazy illustrators i did a billboard for the kentucky derby for coca-cola and so it i really was able to my career kind of took off in atlanta absolutely and so this was this your first graphic design job out of college I had one little one right before that that was a kind of more of a part-time job before I found this one. And then I moved up the ranks. I started out as just a production person in, um, in the design department and then moved up to be one of the lead designers. So that was exciting. So would you say that graphic design was as common then as it was now? Because I feel like there's just about everybody you meet 
dabbles in graphic design at some point. I mean, my husband does it kind of thing. But would you say that at that time, it was a little bit more hard to find a job? Yeah, and actually, I really struggled within, even within that company, because it was really advertising based. And so to to focus a lot on design really took some pushing. Mm -hmm. And um, to actually be given a position as lead designer, they didn't even have lead design positions before I went in there. It was all like more of like art direction, which is more advertising versus design. And so that was that was interesting trying to kind of move the needle there. And um, and then right around that time, you know, there was this big um, cry that it was the end of print. There was a bunch of um, different designers that were really pushing for like all the online started stuff started taking off websites started happening and um, and so you know there was this announcement that was like the end of print and, and <laughs> I, I didn't believe that that was in the 90s you know and so um, it, it definitely is not the end of print I'm glad because I love print uh, I do like online stuff too as well but I feel like print is such a special type of media that you just you're never going to be able to replicate that I agree you know so I'm very attracted to print but um, I did all kinds of stuff you know through all the different jobs I had from print to outdoor to packaging to um, television stuff and I mean all of it yeah game design I mean so when you say game design what, what, what do you mean by game um, well, that actually, the most of the game design stuff I did was here um, when I moved to Corpus Christi. Um, there was a lot of stuff happened in between, but um, I did some uh, design for KDT, was doing um, some different games. One was on a DVD, and it was called, it was like Sweetie something. It was like all, it was for kids, and mm-hmm. it was for kids to learn how to eat better. And so they were... You, you know, the kids, when they would play the game, they would earn more points if they chose the healthier stuff. And so I designed all the elements within the game, like how you just the anything that needed uh, anything visual in the game. I would make all the different screenshots for that as you move through. And, and, wow. and they had some animators that worked with me. And, OK, that's and, I mean, it sounds to me like you've done a little bit of everything, which I think uh people strive for right whenever they get into this kind of field but I'm gonna uh, rewind a little bit because you said that there was a lot that happened between your moving from Atlanta to Corpus so how long were you at the company in Atlanta where you got to what was it the third largest company uh yeah uh, well it was it was really big on the east coast there's probably some bigger ones on the west coast but really for that that area we, we were pretty big um yeah so I after we merged, it was actually after I got the Coca-Cola gig within that company, um, things started changing. The company we merged with was, um, we laughed because the, the creative team was like, they're not as cool as us. And <laughs> and so <laughs> it just, the, everything changed. The dynamic changed at the place I was and the Sheraldon company. And so I just started seeking something else and I really wanted to be in Colorado my family had always vacationed there and I loved it so um, I started looking at ways to get into the mountains and honestly what I did was I picked up an outside magazine and there was an ad for the Discovery Channel was having a race 
in, in, called the Eco Challenge. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was kind of like the Amazing Race, where you go through different countries and, uh, or well, they kind of stuck to one country, but you go through all different places within the country, and uh, there'd be teams of four people. One of them had to be a woman. I love that they did that. Absolutely. Then, uh, you know, I forget how many teams. It was like thirty teams or something, and. And so I saw this ad and I called up uh, Discovery Channel and said, I would like to apply for a job. And they said, well, we're not really um, taking job applications, but we're taking volunteer applications. And if you get a volunteer gig, we basically pay for you to go. And it's not technically staff, but we pay for, you know, you have to get to wherever they are. And then once you're there, they pay for everything when you're there. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I, nobody's going to think I'm any better than anybody else. And so, um, it's funny because at the time was the Monica Lewinsky scandal was going on. (laughs) And so I was Simpler times. (laughs) The, um... I wanted to do this 3D application. I made a, a TV, 3D TV out of foam board, and uh, it was. I, I took the Discovery Channel label or logo and made it the Mon. It was going to be the Monica Channel, but since Monica Lewinsky was whoa, the it, it can't be the Monica Channel. So I made it the McLeod Channel, which is my maiden name and did it in the same style as the Discovery logo and I put that on the TV and then I had a, I made this scroll of paper that you could turn with knobs that had pictures of me like hacking and stuff um, with answers to the application questions. Wow. So I put this 3D application together and I sent it off. Yes, yeah, so you had to mail you had to mail this 3D so it, your re, your uh, application showed up in a box like not in yeah, an envelope. It, yeah, and uh, and I didn't hear anything. And so a couple weeks later, I called them and I said, "Hey, I'm just checking on my application." And they're like, "What's your name?" And I said, "Monica McLeod." And and the um, one of the staffer guys gets on the phone. And he's like, "Monica, oh my god!" <laughs> like everybody knows who you are. Yeah. Like, yes. And like, That's that was the plan. So I got the gig, and um, and that was in Argentina and Patagonia. For a month. Wow. And I totally wheeled and dealed with my job where we had just gotten a new HR girl. And so I ended up being gone for a month and getting paid by my other job the whole time I was there, except for like four days. How do you do that? How, seriously, how do you do that? You, you have to have a special kind of confidence or like way to work. I don't know. How do you do that? Well, I had saved up all, I hadn't taken any sick time. So I had all the sick time and then I had been at the company enough to where I had uh, a decent amount of vacation so between my sick time and my vacation I was able to do it that's amazing so I went to Argentina it was probably still to this day was one of the best things I've ever done and uh, I got to meet all the Discovery Channel people and uh, and got to uh, spend a month in the Andes Patagonia and um and I told the race director I was like okay I just I really want to ride in a helicopter I've never been in a helicopter so um like halfway through the race I thought my job was done I was like a person who worked a checkpoint and he said okay you want that helicopter ride so sure and so um we'll pack up all your stuff 
get your tent. Like all the volunteers, we had we had to stay in tents, and uh, there was actually a blizzard going on at that time. Oh wow! Going to this other spot where the blizzard is not happening, and pack up your stuff, and uh, we're gonna airlift airlift you to the last checkpoint in the race. And so it was me and one other guy. We got to stay there for a week by ourselves. And they're like waterfalls. We had all the racers kayaks. And uh, it was right the last checkpoint before they would go in to finish the race. And so I was there. And uh, it was gorgeous. And, you know, I was able to do all this soul searching. And when the race was over and the trip was over and I got back to Atlanta and it was you know, the height of commercialism. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was December. It was um, Christmas, you know, it was like Christmas shopping rush. And I got back to Atlanta and had like a complete meltdown. Oh, I, was like, I wow. can't be here. I can't be in the city anymore. And so I uh, applied for a job in Boulder, Colorado for a graphic design firm there and uh, got the job. And I knew one person in Boulder, and I had met her uh, through the Discovery Channel gig in Argentina. Wow. And so I, I moved to Boulder, and I worked for a design firm there for a few years. My main client there was IBM. And I got to work with um, John, John Thompson was the same. He was like the CEO of IBM. I got to do his, um, whenever he'd go to a conference, I would do like his technical design for like his PowerPoint slides. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's an important job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was fun, but then it was the uh, dot-com boom mm-hmm. uh, busted right when I was there. So I actually got laid off and uh, and it was devastating. Absolutely. And I had, uh, I had met my now husband who was living here in Corpus Christi. So we were dating. We'd actually met because his mom was the illustrator rep on the Coca-Cola job I worked on in Atlanta. Small world. What are the odds? Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. And uh, and stuff like that always happens to me. I, I can tell. I mean, you're like, here's a discovery <laughs> ad. Let me, let me just do this. And it works out. That's so cool. Yeah, so I, I started freelancing in Boulder after I got laid off, and, and it was actually amazing. I was doing really well because so many people had been laid off. You know, most of the companies there had gotten rid of their staff, but then they were starting to get more work again, and so I was doing really well. But my husband and I had been dating long distance for two years, and, and by that point, I had gotten two big clients freelancing. One was the American Schools of Oriental Research. I was doing archaeology journals for them, magazines. And then the other one was Bellroy Oil, who did, um, I was doing all of their packaging, like their oil labels. And they make like motocross racing oil and stuff like that. Wow. So are you, are you at this point McLeod Creative? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So once they started freelancing, that's when I officially started McLeod Creative. And it was just me. And I had these two clients on both coasts and uh, Ryan my husband was like you don't even need to be in Boulder anymore so that's when I made the decision to move to Corpus Christi and see what Texas was all about and I hated it I was like what am I really did you really I mean I guess in comparison to Colorado right I guess it's a lot different yeah 
not mean, not so I much like compared to florida huh yeah, it's a lot like where i grew up in florida for mm. climate and everything i grew up in central florida but um yeah i just it was ran it was so crazy going from boulder which i mean they have a newspaper completely dedicated to inventions that happen every week i mean it's like this mecca for technology and innovation and creative support and you know outdoor adventure and and uh, it was a, an amazing place to be. I knew I was never going to live in Boulder because the housing market there was just too insane to even invest in. Mm-hmm. And but I wanted to, I, I wanted to be in the mountains. But then when you know love really brought me to Corpus Christi, so I was like I'm going to just try this out and try to figure out if the two of us are meant to be but while I was floundering in Corpus Christi thinking this place has nothing for me you know it doesn't support creatives you know I can't I couldn't get anybody to even pay half of what I was getting for hourly rate that that I was getting in Boulder and Denver Um, but then I started meeting people I got an office downtown I actually, I officed with a bunch of different people. Um, Kinder Kinnison, who now runs Port Royal, mm-hmm. uh, had a city councilman in our office. We had some financial people in our office. And and so we, out of that office, we started um, a young entrepreneur group. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we were all like, we got to do something, you know. So we started this group called Focus. It stood for Focus on a Creative Urban Society. And it was based off of Richard Florida's book, uh, Rise of the Creative Class. And so once I found this group of uh, young entrepreneurs that were had the same thought process as I did, I was like, okay, I think I can handle it here. Mm-hmm. And then I started figuring out that really Corpus is so accessible and the opportunities are so huge here that I really started to appreciate where I was. And once I started investing in in the city and investing my time in the city, then I got sucked in. And I tell people all the time whenever I see new people, I'm like, you're going to get sucked in. <laughs> it's true. It sucks you in. And, you know, I say now some of the, my best friends I've ever met are here. I've had some great opportunity here I would have never had. And then working with the city was interesting. Um, I, for a while, like in the early 2000s, I was helping out a lot with um, the downtown redevelopment plan. We were working really closely with city council and that's fantastic development services and trying to get something going. And so a lot of the stuff we were working on back then is actually now starting to happen or we're seeing it. We're really seeing it come to fruition now. And so mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, thank you community. But, um, yes, I, I'm a city employee and it's, we're still working on getting projects off the ground that have been in the works for like eight years. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. It is what but it being is. Really just like sinking my teeth into the community. I, I, I got, I got pulled in and I loved it and I loved being able to call the mayor up and get a meeting, you know, within that week. And it, and I was like, I wouldn't have been able to do this in Boulder. Mm-hmm. I would definitely wouldn't be able to do this in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. 
know. So I started really thinking about um, Corpus as being an asset. And then at one point I was going to move and my husband and I decided we were going to move to Oregon. And right before the Oregon trip, uh, I ran across the Ritz theater. Yes. (laughs) I love this is a, yes, I'm so excited about this. Yeah. So I was just feeling like I was missing something with Corpus and everywhere I'd been, you know, Atlanta and Boulder and even the stuff, some of the stuff I did in Florida, I felt like I had accomplished something or, or found something really cool to do, or there was a reason I was there. And I hadn't really felt that for Corpus Christi yet. And so we were talking about moving and I just had this really nagging feeling like there's something that I haven't done in Corpus. There's a reason why I was in Corpus and it wasn't just to come be with Ryan. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I feel like we would have ended up together no matter what, but um, why was I in Corpus? And so I got on my bike and I started riding around downtown and I was really enamored with all of the Doc McGregor photos. Yes. So I was like, I'm going to be Doc McGregor for the day and I'm going to take pictures of all the tumbleweeds downtown (laughs) and document it. Uh, and someday, you know, it's going to be all developed and I'll have these pictures. And uh, so I was just riding around downtown and I came up on the Ritz Theater and I didn't know it was the Ritz at the time. And I had never noticed the building before ever. And I'm, I rode around the side of it and the side door was open. And normally this door has this giant bar across it with all these padlocks on it. And it was just open. It was left open. Yeah. I mean, you were being called over there. Yeah. Yes. And so I went in and, you know, I have this passion for architecture. And so I went in and uh, started yelling, you know, I don't want to see see any of you homeless people. Go hide. <laughs> and, and so I called Ryan and I said, you have to get down here. We, I've just stumbled onto something. Please bring, bring some flashlights. And, and so we went in. There was no one else there? No one was there. Nobody, and we didn't find any homeless people or anything. It, somebody, there had been some vagrants living in there. There were signs of that. But uh, it was like discovering the Titanic. I, it, it was like you could hear the crowd. It was so moving. It was so spiritual. And, you know, it was this dark, dusty place. But the you could see all the red velvet seats, you know. And there was, it was pitch black. And there were still props on the stage. We went uh, exploring around. There were still costumes on the hangers. Wow. The filing cabinets were full of stuff. It was like someone had locked the door and walked away. And I was blown away and I could not get the rips out of my head. So uh, go to Oregon. Oh, y'all moved? No, no, we were just to explore to see, you know, okay, we're gonna move to Oregon. And uh, where are we going to live? We can live anywhere. We're, we don't have any ties. We didn't have kids or anything at this point. And we were engaged to be married. And uh, we dro- the whole time driving around Oregon, we're like, well, what do we want in this city? And we kept talking about all these cities that had, had experienced some kind of resurgence. You know, their downtown had been redeveloped or whatever. And uh, Bend, Oregon was a place that uh, my husband had an interview and they had they were celebrating the final, uh, you know, 
cherry on top to their downtown redevelopment. They wow. had been working on it, you know, for 10 years or something and and had this big effort and, and they were having a big celebration. And I was like, you know, Bend is gorgeous, but I, I want to find a place like pre-celebration where we can be involved in the bringing up of the city and then also just for financial sake, like maybe we could, you know, possibly own a building downtown or own property but if the place has already boomed you know that's less likely for us to happen so let's find a place that's like pre-boom <laughs> I love how you think though I, I, you know it's easy to you know get caught up in the 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 boom right and uh, the, yeah. the after boom but to go want to be there before I think that's special well I think it was some of the work I've been doing with Corpus already with the city and then Really, it was a big financial driver, too, because we were like, how are we going to do anything, you know, in a place that even in Bend, you know, they had just experienced this redevelopment and but the housing prices were just insane. And and so and same with Boulder, you know, Boulder is just crazy. And uh, we just kept talking about Corpus Christi and we're like, maybe we're missing something. And I was like, there's this theater. I can't stop thinking about this theater. And. So I started asking, we went back to Corpus after this trip, and we're like, well, maybe we just need to back off the Oregon idea. Let's, let's look at Corpus. And the second we decided, let's just, let's set some roots in Corpus and see what happens. It was like the whole world opened up. And so I started asking around about the Ritz and Barbara Canales uh, was someone that really helped me out. And uh, Norma Urban, she used to run the downtown management district. She's since passed away, but um, she was super helpful. And uh, a lot of different people in town were kind of telling me the history of the Ritz and that um, nobody had been able to get anything together. Mm -hmm. And uh, no one had been able to come up with a plan enough for everyone to get behind. And, um, oh, Carol Scott, Carol Scott was a a big um, mover and shaker back then with the Ritz too, trying to get things to happen. And so I met with Barbara, I met with Carol, they gave me everything they had and said, good luck <laughs> <laughs> with a snicker. And, um, and and knowing how big of a project it was. And so I uh, had a really good friend who I would play frisbee golf with, disc golf with. And we went out, his name's Kara Edge. and. We went out to play disc golf one day, and I, and I said, hey, you don't know anybody who knows anything about theaters, do you? And she laughed at me, and, and I didn't get the joke. I'm like, why, why is that so funny? <laughs> well, my dad's been restoring theaters his whole life. and So her dad... How have y'all uh, never talked about that before, you know? know. That's crazy. Until this you know, theater comes up. And so he knew all about the Ritz, uh, his name is Dr. Clifford Edge, and he was just this little angel that came along. He had uh, a PhD in education. He was a minister and had a passion for economic development and theater restoration. He's like this perfect guy. Mm-hmm. And he had written reports on the Ritz. He knew all about it. So we took him out for pizza at BMJ's and said, okay, we know nothing about theaters. You know, I said, I... I know how to make a good PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. I can design some things. 
yeah, I can make things look good. And, and he said, you know, this theater has so much going for it. And he kind of laid it all out for us of, on, on why it was such an important piece for the city and that it was this potential for a creative hub and that um, where it was located was a big deal. It was a connector between the C District area and the rest of downtown. Yes. You know, you could see it coming off the highway and uh, just everything he kept saying, it was like, yeah, this needs to happen. And, and so we decided, Karen and I, to start Patch and yes, tell me, tell me more about PATCH. So PATCH stands for Positive Action Towards Cultural Heritage. I love that. And uh, we kind of came up with the name and then add, added acronyms after. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go with PATCH. Patching up an old building, but patching, you know, the community together. And then uh, I like the acronym that people are, are, people are truly chapping my hiney. <laughs> that is that's great <laughs> um, I dig I, that I really came from the word match and that I liked that match had this spark sound to it that you know and so then then that's where patch came from and we kind of just went with it and and so we decided to start the nonprofit and um we found the League of Historic American Theaters, which really was what has saved the day all the time. And this league is a group of all theater professionals that exist all over the country. And from the seating people to the creative directors, to the volunteer coordinators, everybody. And so we got some information from them. We got a bunch of information from Dr. Edge and uh, we took that to TRT Holdings. Uh, Bob Rowling and his group owned the Ritz at the time. And so they owned it, but were just sitting on it. They just weren't maintaining it, nothing. Right. Okay. Right. And at the time, they owned a lot of downtown, still do. And they were just holding on to it, mainly because it was a corner piece of property very close to the Omni, which they owned. Mm -hmm. And we talked to TRT and we said, listen, we're interested in this building. And they said, yeah, we, we would like to donate the building to anybody that can raise enough money to restore it. Wow. And so said, awesome. And so that was, that's what kind of sealed the deal to get the nonprofit going. We weren't going to go forward if we couldn't get an agreement. From mm -hmm. them. That makes so we sense. Actually got a, we got a letter of intent that they would donate the building to us uh, if we could raise a million dollars. And I said, okay. And, um, so we started the nonprofit and we put together a big event to recruit a board of directors. And by this time it was 2006. And the nonprofit and, is Patch, right? Right. Okay. Right. And so we did, we got our nonprofit status and it took a while and uh, we got a board together and we started fundraising and having events and realized that nobody would donate to this building that was owned by Bob Rowling. At the time, he was the 13th richest man in the country. And everyone was like, why doesn't he restore it? Why doesn't he do it? It's like, well, he's giving it to us. Like, you know, this yeah. is really nice. Yeah. And we should be grateful. And 
people didn't feel grateful. Mm-hmm. And we actually got on one of the bond packages. We got uh, we got on the bond for two hundred thousand dollars. And back in, I forget it was. I think it was for the two thousand eight bond. And then we got kicked off because of streets. <laughs> oh, those streets. Yes. And then the streets still are done. Yeah. Uh, but it was just not the right time. And, and we realized quickly that nobody was going to donate to this thing as, as long as Bob Rowling owned it. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of city leaders say, we will not support you until you have title to the building. And so we just, we couldn't do it. And it looked like it was going to fall apart. I had actually just had my first baby in 2010 as now it's 2010 and uh thought okay well i'm just gonna be a mom and i'm gonna get rid of this theater and it's not gonna happen oh wow that's hard yeah it was really falling the whole thing was falling apart and so i had i had kind of given up on it and it, it was really hard emotionally to get to that place but i thought okay it's not meant to be i'm meant to just focus on starting a family and we were actually driving to Tulsa Oklahoma where my husband's from with you know our brand new baby and I got a call from TRT and they said yeah so we're transferring title to you right now whoa because I had told them we were shutting everything down that if they're not going to donate to us because by this point you know it's four years in nothing's happening everything's falling apart and so um, I didn't think it was going to happen. And then, you know, this is like on the way to Thanksgiving. They called and said, no, it was Christmas. It's a they Christmas said, miracle. Uh, yeah, it, was a Christmas. it was two days before Christmas. They transferred title to us in 2010. And so it's like, great. <laughs> okay, I got to regroup, totally get back in the mindset of getting this thing going. And it was really starting over. And we had lost most of our board. Man, it's amazing to me that you can have this passion, right? And this plan and this goal and just go for it and still meet red tape. You know what I mean? It's like outside entities. I mean, the people who, even now, still people saying, it'll never happen. You're wasting your time. And then and roadblocks that come up that don't make any sense. And mm-hmm. it's like, why can't y'all see what a blessing this could be for the city? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, and we've put so many plans together to really outline exactly how it could be a blessing. And it seems like such a no brainer. And we still get people who don't understand and they want to put a robot in our way. You know, it's just part of life, I guess. Yeah. So we regrouped and, uh, and we, we still had some major ups and downs. Uh, I'd say in 2012, things started to turn around because we got on the Texas Most Endangered Places list, which started getting some attention from the Texas Historical Commission that we were actually serious about getting something going. And we got a new board. Um, just a, you know, a few years ago, probably like three years ago, we finally got a new board together. We got a new vision put together, and uh, and then the the tours. We had actually tried to get some money from the tours, and it didn't look like we were going to be able to even apply for it. And then 
um, it kind of came back around and and it looked like we could. So um, the city pretty much had to allow us to apply for the tours because non nonprofits hadn't uh, gone for that money before. And that's the taxing permit oh. redevelopment zone. Thank you. I was all, wait, so, what's TERS? Okay. Yeah, so the TERS was, I, I don't know when it was established, but whenever it was established, they put a boundary around an area which includes downtown and the C district. So it's this redevelopment zone that, that they designate. And then what's happened is they've capped property taxes for anything in that area. And then any increase in property taxes, anybody new that comes in, anything over that cap that the city takes for expenses, anything over that goes into a big pot for redevelopment. Mm -hmm. And then people apply for that money and they get granted that money. So it's kind of like a granting right. system. But using property tax money so that was the big question is we're a nonprofit. we don't pay we got our taxes abated on the building and so we don't pay property taxes can we use property tax money for this and so really it came down to having to prove that what we're doing will help increase property taxes in the area it'll you know increase traffic in the area it'll do nothing but good things for the the community it um so they finally allowed us to apply for that, and we got a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! And that was the first time we had really gotten any support from the city, and I think people were really—they were waiting for the city to do something to say, "Okay, the city wants this." You yes. Know, like um, anybody that we would talk to, any big donors, they're like, "Well, we'll donate, but we want to come in after some other people have donated." Right. And so now that the city uh, granted us this money, we've seen a lot more interest in donations. We had to match that. So it wasn't just a here's 100000 We had to match the 100000 to even get it. And then we had to do the work first uh, before we could get it. So we had to prove that we needed the money. We had to prove that it cost that much. And then we actually had to pay for it. Then Wow. Hundred thousand as a reimbursement. I had no idea it was this challenging. I mean, I, maybe I did because I'm like, how is this not up and up yet? You know, and and hearing you tell this, I'm like, ah. I mean, this is what like six years of yeah, work. I mean, well, I mean, we started the nonprofit in 2006, so oh, 14 13 years. years. 13 years we've been working on it. Wow. But it's also in bits and pieces. I mean, every single person that has worked on this product project does it in their free time, mm -hmm. including myself. Mm -hmm. And so there are no paid staff to people, which is part of why it's taking so long. Of course. Um, which is our, our next big push since we just got the roof finished is to hire an executive director. And so we're trying to get some grants for that because it's just, we can't move forward until we have someone full time. Absolutely. And now that we've reached this milestone of getting the roof finished, uh, now we've been seeing a more interest from donors. Uh, people seem to have more confidence in the project uh, now that the city has, you know, kind of put their stamp of approval on it. And so now it's time to get some serious help. And because we can't, it's obvious we can't do it on our own. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, is there a way for people to get involved or to donate or you know, just help in any way? Absolutely. Yeah, we, 
I mean, right now is a weird time, but normally we have art walks, and so that's a great way to come and see the building. And we open the building up usually for an art walk, so you can come in and check it out, and we might have some music playing. Uh, so then you can you can donate in person. You can go to ccritz.com and donate there. And we're, you know, probably around the end of the year, new year, depending on what happens with uh, life and pandemic stuff, mm -hmm. um, we'll be launching a capital campaign. And then in the meantime, we did establish an event as a fundraiser for the Ritz, and that's Cape Bueno Taco Fest. Yes. And that came about because we were trying to reinvent the fundraiser and just think of something that we could do that was different. And uh, Dusty Oliveira, he was at the meeting when we were trying to brainstorm, you know, this great new fundraising idea and said, well, what about Taco Fest? And said, that's, you know, tacos are such a big deal in Corpus and nobody's claimed Taco Fest. Nobody's done it. And we were like, wow, nobody's done Taco Fest. How have we not? <laughs> and then it was kind of like, well, how does Taco Fest relate to the Ritz? And so we just started talking about how tacos could be such a fun theme for creativity mm -hmm. and you know we've got uh, uh, an art auction and music and kids art competition and chihuahua beauty contests and like a song competition and all. we tried to wrap up as much as we could with taco themes but in you, you know doing creative creative things with it to kind of relate back to trying to create this creative hub for the in the ritz theater uh, so that's what we're doing now. We're we're looking at a small scale Cape Bueno Taco Fest for this year. It'll be September twelfth, mm -hmm. and doing more of a VIP party at Bus with a virtual fundraiser, bringing some acts in to help us fundraise online. How well, cool! That's very cool. Changing it up a bit because we do think that. Um, it's a really fun event. We don't want it to just go away. And so we think we can pull it off even during this time in a, in a small form of it. I think you can too. Cause it's such a well thought out festival. I mean, I've only ever heard good things about it. And the fact that it's benefiting the Ritz is just the extra reason why people should be involved. Yeah. A little history on the Ritz. Um, so we didn't talk about that. It was built in or open in 1929. And it opened two months after the stock market crashed. So, you know, you think about what's happening right now. And the Ritz was really this uh, escape for people. And it was a huge creative outlet for the community. Um, and it was, a, it was a really big deal for the city because it was one of the largest theaters in the state. It was one of the nicest theaters in the state. And uh, they would do movie premieres and things like that there presidents came actors and actresses would come they premiered Gone with wow the there. Um, and it was a really fancy place and you know you think about what's happening now with just all the uncertainty in here um, you know I, I really think this is an important time for the Ritz to kind of 
do what it did when it opened and that's be an outlet Mm -hmm. for the community to find peace and comfort and humor and entertainment and um, you know now more than ever we need creativity so um, we would we want to bring back everything that was in the Ritz, which it opened as a first-run movie theater. We, we're not going to do first-run movies. We'll probably do more independent film and film festivals, that kind of thing. It was a really big uh, music venue in the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was the Ritz Music Hall in the 70s. And uh, a lot of big-name artists got their start there. Uh, Willie Nelson, Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Bob Dylan. Then it uh, it transferred to more of a he- heavy metal place, so uh, Metallica and Rush and ACDC and Moxie and all those types of bands would come and play. And so a lot of people that know the Ritz, that's what they know it from is the 70s. Yes. From the days. So we want to bring all that back. Definitely some comedy shows. And then uh, we would like to do our own produced show. So the big idea, like when we were talking about this Ritz restoration, we're like, okay, there's plenty, you know, there are other places to be entertained in the city. Like what's, what's really the purpose behind this building and what's more importantly, what's happening inside the building. And we wanted to create something that could help increase the income for the city because that's the big problem. And even with fundraising, Everybody's trying to ask the same people, and you know everyone's like, "There's no money because yes. you know everybody's donating to like these bigger causes, and there's all this need everywhere, you know, especially now." Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we're trying to do is position the Ritz. Like, the Ritz is one of the few viable options to increase income for the city. And so it's not like, oh, just give us a bunch of money to make this pretty place. Or mm-hmm. You know, what we've looked into, the research we've done is all these other theaters, basically uh, historic theaters are major economic drivers for cities. And it's been proven pretty much everywhere. And, you know, up to, uh, well, I think even the governor said if, if the city can focus on music and creativity, it will increase the city's total revenue by a full percentage point. Wow. That's a pretty big deal when you look at what Very. Kind of revenue is coming into the city. Very. Um, so what we were talking about with some of the programming with the Ritz is actually doing a show that's broadcast to the universe, you know, um, to the, the nation. And, um, you know, we've got some different things planned for the show, but essentially people outside of Corpus could get a hold of the show and see it. And then they would want to come to Corpus Christi to be part of the live audience and be part of that whole scene. And then it's a tourist attraction, not just, oh, here's this great venue that's mm-hmm. pretty. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe we'll see, you know, a music artist or a comedian that happens to be there. But they, people get to know the Ritz or get to know the show through all kinds of other means, you know. And now that you don't have to be tied to a network, now that you can, you know, find there's a million ways to get your content out to the universe. Yes. Now it's a much more viable option to actually do the show. And um, 
and attract people to Corpus Christi. So that's, to me, that's the big idea for this building. Well, I mean, that's you really thinking ahead, thinking in terms of growth, thinking in terms of planning and, and where you want to be and what you want to see and, you know, whatever time frame it may be. That's huge that you have that kind of range of sight. You know, I know... Well, we spent some time, so I I lucked out, and a, a friend um, turns out has great friends in high places. You know, it's all about who you know and your network. I think I really do believe that your network is your net worth. You know, like building your network is so important, and the network really paid off. Uh, a, one of the moms from uh, my kid's school is really good friends with Freddie Fletcher, who owns Austin City Limits, the wow. show, with Willie Nelson, who happens to be his uncle. Oh my and goodness. So I was able to coordinate a dinner with him in Austin when I was up there um, a few years ago for the League of Historic American Theaters Conference. And so I sat down with Freddie and said, okay, we've got this show idea for the Ritz, we think this could be great, and you know, what about trying to bring back all the artists that used to play in the Ritz, you know, and have them do maybe like an acoustic set or something different, and, uh, and he said, no, don't do that. <laughs> and I said, why not? And he goes, well, you wanna talk about red tape, you're really getting into some red tape when you're dealing with all these big name artists. They're all big now and everybody wants a cut of everything they do. Mm -hmm. And so we started talking about the local scene and you know, some of the things that are coming up in Corpus Christi, like, I mean, Cumbia being so big here and uh, the Latino movement. And he's like, focus on that. That's what you guys need to be highlighting. Mm -hmm. Focus everything that Corpus stands for you know everything that makes corpus christi great and that's what the world needs to see that's what's going to make you unique and so that's what we're looking at now that's fantastic and, and it's so true i feel like i mean i haven't lived as many places as you but i feel like corpus has such a pride and like its culture and its people and its local businesses and creatives and stuff like that and i think it would be really neat to see it celebrated in another way through the Ritz and, and the show and, and everything you know, that is going to be happening in the future. So that's really exciting to hear that you thought about it like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. We've got so much talent here. It's people don't even know. I mean, yourself included. I'm like, man, I, I, I okay. Cause initially, and we're going to get into it real quick. I'm thinking, okay, Monica Sawyer, the one bride guide. And then you'd like break it down for me, this whole Ritz journey. And I'm just like, wow, you have been doing so much behind the scenes work trying to get this place up and running again because you see its potential. I mean, that's huge. Like, I can tell you love Corpus because not just anyone would tackle that project. Yeah, and I think that's part of why I, you know, I ended up being the one to do it just because I have a really hard time saying no. And then um, I, I don't give up. And I think that's just, it has to be someone that's not going to give up on this because there are so many times I've wanted to give up on the Ritz and the Lord has said, nope. Mm -hmm. And every time I've wanted to give up, somebody's come along and some breakthroughs happened and, or, you know, just some amazing thing 
has happened that's just a clear sign that I can't and I'm not supposed to. And, you know, maybe that makes me the perfect person. Absolutely. Yes. No, I mean, you're being, you're, yeah, because you're supposed to be handling this and you are, I mean, regardless of how long it takes, I mean, I think you've gotten it further along than anyone else. Cause like you said, when you got here, a few people had made some attempts, but by the sound of it, I think you're the one who's made the most progress for sure. Yeah. We still have a long way to go. I mean, we're way far away from, you know, opening the door. I, mean, I wouldn't say way far away, but, um, we have a long way to go. We have a lot of money to raise. It's a huge project, but I definitely think it's doable. I've seen so much happen that, you know, really gives me that confidence. It's going to happen. So tell me how the one bride guide began. Well, um, that was kind of out of necessity. Uh, in 2007, things started going south. Uh, with the economy, you know, we had the big real estate bust in 2008, but it was already starting to happen kind of in 2007. And the League of Historic American Theaters job I had, which was really my bread and butter from a cloud creative, which is my graphic design firm, uh, which now I had a full staff, I had other designers and stuff, and I had way bigger overhead. And this magazine I was doing um, for these people out of Atlanta, they lost all their funding. And so they went away and I was like, crap, what am I going to do? I need to, you know, I tried to drum up some new business and it was just kind of a hard time. And I thought, you know, we need to do stuff in the wedding industry. Uh, One of my best friends, actually the girl that I had met in Argentina that was in Boulder, she uh, ended up being in California and then in Vegas, she ended up being one of the top wedding photographers in Vegas. And so she's, you know, chirping in my ear about weddings. Oh, weddings, weddings, weddings. (laughs) Weddings aren't going away. You should be a wedding photographer. And I love photography, but I thought I do not want to spend every weekend at a wedding. And so I thought, but I know how to put magazines together. And I had tried to dabble in invitation design, but kind of like everything else, just people weren't willing to pay really what it cost us to do it. So mm-hmm. um, I started looking at the magazine idea and doing a regional wedding magazine. And I had just finished a job for the CBB, the Commission and Visitors Bureau, um, that wasn't, in my opinion, it, they didn't take it as far as they could have taken it. And so I really liked some of the ideas that they had in this job, which was, it was a meeting planners guide. And the idea was to put together a guide of all the venues so that convention people, you know, trying to plan a meeting or a convention in town could have a resource to look at that showed everything. And I thought, what a great idea, but for brides. Mm-hmm. And so that got my, you know, brain working and and so I decided to start with the resource side for the brides and look at all the venues in town and then also some of the other wedding magazines you know they would just have a few vendors listed like a a very short list of people and so I started with site finder which is every venue that could host more than 50 people and a giant directory of anybody that would have anything to do with weddings wow um 
and I was I went around with uh, one page showing kind of what what a spotlight would look like, one page showing what the site finder would look like, and one page showing what the directory would look like, and that's what I used to sell it. And so I, I went around and got enough advertisers with that to pay for the magazine. And that was in, that was our first issue was June of 2007. Wow. And uh, you just knew what to do. You just knew what to do. It was super hard, but you know, <sighs> it's just I had, just had to go sell it and and you know convince people I knew what I was talking. About. <laughs> well, obviously it worked because you're right. The whole wedding industry, I mean, has just blown up. I mean, it's it's it, it's something else. So good job for jumping on that. Yeah, so I think really, you know, what made us stand out was just really good design. And my number one goal in putting the magazine together was to elevate the creativity that existed. Because when I first started doing the magazine, people were asking me, like, well, what photographers are in town? I'm like, I don't know. And, you know, here I am in the creative field, and I knew, like, a couple photographers. And then when I started really looking and asking around and starting to see people's portfolio, next thing I know, there's like, you know, 10 photographers and I'm like, these guys are really good and nobody knows about them and Mm -hmm. they have no platform to become known besides, you know, them doing their own thing. And so for me, I wanted a magazine that was a portfolio piece. And so that's why we chose to do it a lot bigger. We made it as big as we could to still fit in a one of those um, like plastic uh, file folder totes. Yeah. So we we measured how big could something fit in there, and it was nine and a quarter by twelve. And so that's I wanted it to be bigger. It is. It is bigger. It, it, it wouldn't fit in the little plastic totes. I'm like, no. Yeah, but you can't miss that magazine because you're right. It's like a little bit, a little bit bigger. <laughs> so you know that. We just really wanted it to be a portfolio piece, and I think it does that. And it's that's the one comment I always get is just how beautiful it is. And we get a lot of readers that pick it up that that aren't involved in weddings just because it's big and it's beautiful and it has pretty pictures in it. Yeah. So um, I tell advertisers, you don't need to be in the wedding industry because so many people look at it, and, and it's really helped a lot of people including myself just to plan plan parties that's a yeah planning planning a party well is a skill so anybody that can do that i'm impressed with so did you have any idea that you would be starting this in 2007 mid 2007 and be in 2020 and still this magazine is is big people care about it and and what happens i mean there was the vote for the cover photo for this most recent month uh which is really exciting we had 54,000 votes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Over 54,000. Yeah, no, and even the, you know, like everything in my life, it's drama. Like, I thought I was going to have to shut the magazine down at one point um, because I was having, let's see, I guess it was right around the same time the Ritz was shutting down. Like, we thought the Ritz was shutting down, and I was having my first kid. So my world was imploding, you know, here I think the nonprofit's going away 
and a week before my um, maternity leave was going to start for my first baby, my sales girl quits, and 24 hours later, my designer quits. And, wow. And so I thought, well, I can't. And then all the rest of the people that I had working for me were not income generators. And so I ended up laying everybody off. And uh, I thought I was going to have to shut my whole business down. And, you know, that's why I was like, okay, I guess I'm not meant to do this theater. I guess I'm not meant to have a business. I'm just going to go be mom. And I had Aunt Stella, our first daughter, and went home. And I was getting cold calls for advertisers to be in the magazine. They were calling you. Yes. No one was on the streets. No one was selling this thing. We had zero social media going on. You know, we, I barely got the magazine out. I mean, I had, I was, I just got it to press right before I had the baby. And so then I had someone deliver it for me. And I thought this is probably going to be our last issue because I don't know how I'm going to sell this on my own or even, you know, figure out how to hire a new staff later. And I had several cold calls that ended up being big advertisers. And that's when my husband and I sat down and we're like, okay, well, I don't think we should get rid of this. <laughs> and, uh, and we decided to put it in incubation phase, which was just, let's just let it be whatever it is and not put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And it grew on its own without trying. And so then I said, okay, well, we really have something here. And, and kept it going. That makes me so happy uh, that you and your husband let it just kind of do its thing. Because I think a lot of people have a hard time letting something like that go. Yeah. Well, and I had people ask me, like even my pastor, he said, do you think you're holding on too tight to all of these things? And I said, my hands are open. And because I really, like all the things that have happened in my life and with my business and the Ritz and everything else have felt very out of control. Like it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with me. It's like almost like just happening to me. Wow. And so I'm just more a recipient, you know, or I look at myself, like even with the Ritz, I don't really care about being the one to make it happen ultimately like if if something happens and um and i'm i'm not like president or whatever by the time the theater opens the stores that's not what's gonna that's not gonna get under my skin my purpose for that particular project is just being a catalyst mm-hmm. which and you so, already are i i hopefully so I told him, you know, he's like, are you holding on too tight? And I said, no, my hands are open. Like, I'm just kind of here as an observer and a recipient of whatever's happening. And I can't, I can't hold on tight or I'm going to go crazy. You know, I just have to let it happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it has. And even with the online stuff, the one community, that started because, um, we were just getting a lot of pressure from everybody that we needed to do more online. And so I was looking at some different systems online. I actually um, was going to use ClickFunnels, which is a company that does like a whole back end system of marketing and 
and generating traffic. And I didn't know, I, I got this free trial for ClickFunnels and it, I couldn't figure it out. And so long story short, I, I found this ClickFunnels guru on YouTube and was watching all of videos. <laughs> University of and, YouTube. Yeah, and this guy was amazing because he was a marketing guy and he would give his marketing talks on horseback in the snow in the middle of Canada like he lived off the grid and so he would do these marketing tutorials on horseback in the snow and you know I I used to ride rodeo and so I was really interested in in that and he it just caught my attention because it was so different and so I ended up contacting him to see if he could help me out and then turns out he had a wedding venue and so he decided he wanted to go into business with me to start the online resource. Wow. And so we did. Um, his name is Mike Caldwell. And he's, you can find him at the Marketing Medic. But um, it, it ultimately didn't work out. Um, it was just too hard to try to do it so remotely. And, yeah. And, and it was weird because we had, you know, the one bride guide and then trying to do a whole nother brand it felt very competitive like the brands were competing against each other and so I ended up buying him out um, but uh, and then we re we rebranded so we put it all back under the one bride guide which I think it, it needed to be there I and, agree uh, and then we named it the one community because really we're trying to create an online community of people to find each other, you know, the, the brides to find the vendors and then brides to find other brides to help them. You know, we, we have experimented with um, having a wedding planner do a chat every week. We're, we're still experimenting with this whole thing, but ultimately it's a do it yourself wedding planning system. You can also do it with a wedding planner, mm -hmm. um, but it's got the directory and then a checklist and a budget calculator and everything like that. But, um, you know, that, that came out of pressure from the community, which we knew that we needed to do, but it ended up being a really excellent resource. So we're, we're launching that and that, that was actually, we got all the bugs out of it right before COVID started. Oh, wow. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. And so what we ended up doing was um, we gave it away for free to anybody that wanted to try it out so that um, we could get feedback, we could be, get people trying it out, vendors and brides. And we've had um, really good feedback. We've got a lot of brides that are involved in it right now using it. Man. Yeah, you, uh, you. I just feel like you're constantly taking input from consumers and and uh, turning it into something that is incredibly useful and much needed. And that is a gift that you have, and it's just incredible to me because you just seem like there's nothing you can't handle. I mean, you're running a nonprofit. You have your uh, your uh, marketing firm or design firm, and you have. Um, the magazine. I mean, you have kids. You, your mom. I mean, it's. The, I'm amazed very by you. Overwhelming. <laughs> I do get very overwhelmed, and that that's something I actually wanted to talk about with you. Is, you know, I had so I have so many people telling me I'm doing too much, and I think 
what it comes down to is I, if it's not going to be these things I'm doing, I have a list of about 20 things I want to do after this. So it's, it's always going to be something. Mm-hmm. And I'm always going to be creating. I feel like that's just who I am. I just need to be creating. And I love creating resources that can kind of stand on their own. And so, you know, what I like to talk about with entrepreneurs or women who are trying to start a business or just people that are feeling overwhelmed with whatever they're doing, you know, there's always going to be the stressors. There's always going to be a million things that are competing for your attention. And so it's not about clearing your plate. And I mean, I get there is a point where I think you can be doing too much. So then you're not focusing on things. And, and I think that's why a lot of the things that I've done have taken a while, because if I had just chosen one of them, maybe if I had just done the Ritz, the Ritz would be restored by now, but I've got, you know, I'm doing like 10 different things. Mm-hmm. So they take longer, but I really enjoy all of them. So what, what I'm trying to do now, right now in my life is to figure out how to mentally manage the stress and to not um, freak out really or not get overwhelmed. And I do that by, um, I, I have a journal where I've written scripture that relates to very specific situations or uh, quotes or poetry or just even um, passages that uh, really help kind of trigger me out of that stressful moment because I really feel like it's a mind game. Absolutely. And if you can, if you can handle the mind game, if you can figure out how to lower your stress mentally, then you can really do anything and you can take on whatever you want to take on. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think it's important for people to hear because yes, I mean, it's a cliche at this point, I feel, but the mind is so powerful and it really can run rampant with everything if uh, you don't have a way to check it. And so I like that you shared, I mean, it's almost like a self-care uh, process with your journaling and the scripture and quotes or whatever it may be that helps you just align yourself with you know, what's, what's true. And then you're able to take on the responsibilities and everything with all the the myriad of things that you're doing. So I really appreciate you sharing that because because that's really, really big. And uh, I want to thank you so much, Monica, for meeting with me today, for talking to me about all the tremendous work you've done for the Ritz, for your amazing creation of the One Bride Guide and the One uh, Community. And um, just I can't wait to see what else you have on your plate whenever all this is, is, is said and done. So thank you again. Yes. Well, it's a pleasure. I could talk for days about all this stuff. I love it. And I have a million stories. So I appreciate you wanting to hear them and sharing it with the world. And hopefully people will check out the Ritz and the one and, and, uh, be, you know, benefit. It'll hopefully they'll benefit their life. Cause that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Thanks again, Monica. Thank you.